The way to be thorough with reading thorough is just to keep reading uh, some every day. So we're going to continue with our daily podcast of thoroughs, uh, journals, and it's almost come down to the days now that we start on instead of the year. So we have December 12th. 1851, we should be able to finish 1851. I have been surveying for 20 or 30 days, living coarsely, even as respects my diet, for I find that that will always alter to suit my employment. Indeed, leading a quite trivial life, and tonight, for the first time, had made a fire in my chamber and endeavored to return to myself. So his most stable income is his surveying work, right? Mm -hmm. And plus he gets to be work outdoors. <laughs> I wish to ally myself to the powers that rule the universe. Uh -huh. Though at the same time he's trying to stay in touch with the universe uh, while working. I wish to dive into some steep stream of thoughtful and devoted life which meandered through the thorough, I mean through, retired and fertile meadows far from towns. I wish to do again or for once things quite congenial to my highest inmost and most sacred nature. Hmm. He's still talking about his need for spirituality. Quite congenial to my highest and inmost and most sacred nature to lurk in crystalline thought like the trout under verdurous banks where Stray mankind should only see my bubble come to the surface. <laughs> he wants to be like a trout. <laughs> Under the bank, which he only sees. All we always see is this bubble in this journal. <laughs> I wish to do again and for once things quite congenial to my highest inmost and most sacred nature to lurk in crystalline thought like the trout under verdurous banks. Are those like green banks? Where stray mankind should only see my bubble come to the surface. Did you say yes? Yeah, green. Under green. So here talking about Thoreau's green world. <laughs> Bubbling up so we could see it in the surface of this journal. I wish to live, ah, as far away as a man can think. I wished for leisure and quiet to let my life flow in its proper channels with its proper currents when I might not waste the days, might establish daily prayer, and thanksgiving in my family might do my own work and not the work of Concord and Carlisle, which would yield me better than money. 
He's working probably for Concord and Carlisle and doing survey work. But he'd like to do his own work. But he has to make some money. December 17th. The winter morning is the time to see the woods and shrubs in their perfection wearing their snowy and frosty dress. Even he who visits them half an hour after sunrise will have lost some of their most delicate and fleeting beauties. The trees wear their snowy burden, but coarsely after midday, and it no longer expresses the character of the tree. I observed that early in the morning every pine needle was covered with a frosty sheath, but soon after sunrise, it was all gone. You walk in the pitch pine wood, as under a penthouse. The stems and branches of the trees look black by contrast. You wander zigzag through the aisles of the wood where stillness and twilight reign. You think he did almost pre-dawn hiking? Hmm. Improve every opportunity to express yourself in writing as if it were your last. Hmm. He should write his uh, books uh, I do not know, but a pine wood is as substantial and as memorable a fact as a friend. I am more sure to come away from it cheered than from those who come nearest to being my friends. It is unfortunate for the chopper and the walker when the cold wind comes from the same side with the sun for then he cannot find a warm recess in which to sit. Hmm. When the wind comes from the same side as the sun. He's saying if you're trying to sun yourself, but the, it's the direction of the cold wind. It's unfortunate. Uh, it is pleasant to walk now through open and stately white pine woods. Their plumes do not hold so much snow commonly, unless where their limbs rest or are weighed down on to a neighboring tree. It is cold, but still in their midst, where the snow is untracked by man. And ever and anon you see the snow dust shine on by the sun, falling from their tops, and it strikes the lower limbs producing innumerable new showers. Are we walking through the pre-dawn forest, winter forest on a winter morning? <laughs> or are we reading a book? <laughs> uh, for as after a rain, there is a second rain in the woods. So oh, after it rains, there's a second rain. So after a light snow, there is a second snow in the woods when the wind rises. The branches of the white pine are more horizontal than those of the pitch, 
and the white streaks of snow on them look accordingly. I perceive that the young black oaks and the red oaks too, methinks, still keep their leaves as well as the white. This piercing wind is so nearly from the west this afternoon that to stand at once in a sheltered and a snowy place you must seek the south-southeast side of the woods. Uh -huh. Hmm. Hmm. That's because of the piercing wind. Uh -huh. What slight but important distinctions between one creature and another. What little but essential advantages one enjoys over another. I noticed this afternoon a squirrel's nest high in the fork of a white pine. Thither he easily ascends, but many creatures strive in vain to get at him. The lower branches of the hemlock point down and even trail on the ground, and the whole tree making a perfect canopy. When they who have aspired to be friends cease to sympathize, it is the part of religion to keep asunder. One of the best men I know often offends me by uttering made words, the very best words, of course, or dinner speeches, most smooth and gracious and fluent repartees, a sort of talking to Buncombe, a dash of polite conversation, a graceful blending, as if I were Master Slingsby of promising parts from the university. How oh, would you but be simple and downright? Would you but cease your palaver? It is the misfortune of being a gentleman and famous. Hmm. Famous? Who is he talking about? <laughs> The conversation of gentlemen after dinner, one of the best of men and wisest to whom this diabolical familiarity would adhere. Repeating himself, shampooing himself, passing the day, time of day, as if he were just introduced. No words are so tedious, never a natural or simple word or yawn. It produces an appearance of phlegm and stupidity in me, the auditor. I am suddenly the closest and most phlegmatic of mortals, and the conversation comes to naught. Such speeches as an ex-member of Congress might make to an ex-member of Parliament to explain to a friend is to suppose that you are not intelligent of one another. If you are not, to what purpose will you explain? My acquaintances will sometimes wonder why I will impoverish myself by living aloof from this or that company, but greater will be the impoverishment if I should associate with them. So why do we associate with <laughs> You might become like them. You're supposed to watch who you associate with. Mm -hmm. hmm. December 20th. 
We're reading in the selected journals of Henry David Thoreau. Our country is broad and rich, for here within 20 miles of Boston. <laughs> That's about what they are, 20 miles from Boston. <laughs> we'll just call it 20 miles from Boston. I stand in a clearing in the woods and look a mile or more over the shrub oaks to the distant pine corpses, an horizon of uncut woods without a house or road or cultivated field in sight. December 24th, it spits snow this afternoon. That's all that happened. Here we are, December 25th, Christmas Day. <laughs> A wind is now blowing the light snow which fell a day or two ago into drifts, especially on the lee. Now the south side of the walls, the outlines of the drifts corresponding to the chinks in the walls and the eddies of the wind. The snow glides unperceived for the most part over the open fields without rising into the air unless the ground is elevated until it reaches an opposite wall which it shifts through and is blown over blowing off from it like steam when seen in the sun as it passes through the chinks here we have passes through the chinks c-h-i-n-k-s it does not drive straight onward but curves gracefully upwards into fantastic shapes, somewhat like the waves which curve as they break upon the shore. That is, as if the snow that passes through a chink were one connected body detained by the friction of the lower side. It takes the form of saddles and Shells and peringers. It brings up a fantastic alabaster wall behind the first of snowy Sierra. It is wonderful what sharp turrets it builds up. Builds up, in other words, by accumulation through seemingly by attrition, though the curves upward to a point like the brows of ancient vessels look like sharp carving or as if the material had been held before the po-pipe. So what was blown up into the air gradually shifts down into the road or field and forms the slope of the Sierra. Astonishingly sharp and thin overhanging eaves that builds even this dry snow, where it has the least suggestion from a wall or bank less than a mason ever springs his brick form. This is the architecture of the snow. This is talking about my father's photographs of the great snow, great snow of 1977. Or is it 1717? Uh -huh. Or is this is just Christmas Day of 1851 in Thoreau? This is the architecture of the snow on high hills exposed to wind and sun. It curls off like the steam 
from a damp roof in the morning. Such sharply defined forms it takes as if the core had been the flames of gaslights. December 30th, this afternoon, being on Fairhaven Hill, I heard the sound of a saw, and soon after from the cliff saw two men sawing down a noble pine beneath about forty yards off. I resolved to watch it till it fell, the last of a dozen or more which were left when the forest was cut and for fifteen years has waved in solitary majesty over the sprout land. I saw them like beavers or insects gnawing at the trunk of this noble tree. The diminutive mannequins with their cross-cut saw, which could scarcely span it. It towered up a hundred feet, as I afterward found by measurement, one of the tallest probably in the township, and straight as an arrow, but slanting a little towards the hillside, its top seen against the frozen river and the hills of Canantum. I watch closely to see when it begins to move. Now the sawers stop, and with an axe open it a little on the side towards which it leans, that it may break the faster. And now the saw goes again. Now surely it is going. It is inclined one quarter of the quadrant, and barthless I expect its crashing fall. But no, I was mistaken. It has not moved an inch. It stands at the same angle as at first. It is fifteen minutes yet to its fall. Still its branches wave in the wind as if it were destined to stand for a century. And the wind sows through its needles as of yore. And it is still a forest tree. And the most majestic tree that waves over must get the quad. The shiver Silvery sheen of the sunlight is reflected through its needles. It still affords an inaccessible crotch for the squirrel's nest. Not a lichen has forsaken its mask-like stem. Its raking mass, the hill, is the hulk. Now, now's the moment. The mannequins at its base are fleeing from the crime. They all have dropped the guilty saw and axe. How slowly and majestically it starts, as if it were only swayed by a summer breeze and would return without a sigh to its location in the air. And now it fans the hillside with its fall, and it lies down to its bed in the valley, from which it is never to rise as softly as a feather, folding its green mantle about it like a warrior as if tired of standing. It embraced the earth with silent joy, returning its elements to the dust again. But hark, there you only saw but did not hear. There now comes a deafening crash to these rocks, advertising you that even trees do not die without a groan. <laughs> do you think trees groan when they die? Mm -hmm. They may make a creaking sound. I've seen trees fall over quite a bit because we chopped wood and cut trees and cut wood as uh, kids. Uh, 
as farm boys, we had to cut wood and cut down trees, and naturally we heard the tree groan as it fell over. Even trees do not die without a groan. It rushes to embrace the earth and mingle its elements with the dust, and now all is still once more and forever, both to eye and ear. That's the end of 1851. <laughs> we cut down a tree and and listen to it groan. It seems everything groans these days. <laughs> and we, we read about the architecture of the snow, how it passes through chinks. And we read that Concord is about 20 miles from Boston. How far is Concord from Boston? <laughs> 20 miles, according to Thoreau. And then... Yeah, it's pretty close. That's why his going to like the Harvard Library is, I mean, back then 20 miles is pretty far, but it's not undoable. We just read uh, December 12th to the end of 1851, and we read about Thoreau had been working, doing surveying, and his mate got out a good freelance job that's pretty well paying, which he's suited for. So luckily he had the pencil business and the surveying business. Because he still hadn't made much in his books. <laughs> Nobody made as much as Louisa May Alcott on Little Women. If you want to get rich, right? You had to write Little Women. They made much more money. Right? Remember how they said like Malville made like 10,000 or something? and But Louisa May Alcott made over $100,000. Uh -huh. 200. She was a millionaire by those terms. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. She was a successful writer. Whereas the others... The other so-called successful writers, right, may have made twenty thousand. Back, but twenty thousand is quite a bit of money back then. No, it's not a millionaire. You see, discriminating against women who have even business wise, they shouldn't discriminate. Discriminate against them. I mean, all the discrimination against women, I said. Because you don't know what to expect from them. Well, she wrote a lot, so she got a lot of practice. Uh -huh. And I guess so she wrote a lot of books, too. Uh -huh. But we're, we're not talking about we're reading Thoreau, not Louisa May Alcott. What were we speculating about her? How much we don't know when she when and where she walked through the woods with Thoreau, according to... But we'd have to look up something to find out. Mm -hmm. Oh, we believe that uh, Louisa May Alcott was a student in Thoreau's school in Concord. So Thoreau was her teacher at one time. This. 
So we know there's, and we know she knew Emerson, so they both knew Emerson. We don't, haven't explored the details. We are reading from the best of Thoreau's journals in Carl Body. So this is not the complete journal, it's just the best of the journals. Whatever, however you define the best. Anything else? Should we look at the snow on the trees before the sun comes up? (laughs) What's the sound of a tree falling in the woods if we... What would it sound like? Is there snow? Is there snow now? No, there's no snow. Normally there would be snow this time of year. We read about the snow that Thoreau had on December 25th of 1851. Uh-huh. 